We've been in our series on the Apostles' Creed, and if you missed week one, uh, I just want to clarify one phrase in there. If you're familiar with the, the, the Apostles' Creed, you've, you've heard that what was read before. Maybe that was your first time hearing it and seeing it in a video form. Uh, but we got that one line in there, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That's going to be something we cover in, in a few weeks. Uh, and, and when I was a kid growing up in the Lutheran Church, that line always confused the snot out of me. I was so confused. Why am I sitting here as a Lutheran kid growing up in a Lutheran church saying I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? Was there a battle and we lost and like this is our punishment? You know, we had to hold up a sign on a street corner, I believe in the Catholic, I, I, I didn't get it. And, and so uh, it wasn't until years later after I had left the Lutheran church that I actually uh, realized that uh, Catholic can mean Catholic Church, capital C, like, you know, the the church on the street corner of the denomination, it can also mean little c, uh, it just basically means a, a universal. And so when we're saying I believe in the Catholic church, I believe in the church universal. We'll unpack that more in future weeks when we get on that line. But we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. It's our new story, our new series called A Study, uh, Together We Believe, A Study of the Apostles' Creed. And the heart in this uh, has been acknowledging that, man, that there is just a, 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 a wealth of truth in the Apostles' Creed, and it points us back to God's Word. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we continue to work through the Apostles' Creed, as to see what does God's Word have for us today. Well, this weekend, my wife and I had a chance to accomplish quite a bit in our yard. All week, you know, uh, we've been wanting to just kind of get out and get a few hours in every night. And if you're close to the, the, this general area, you know we've had rain multiple evenings. And uh, every time we're itching to get a few hours in, it's just downpour. Uh, and, and really, the, the difficulty of that is if you have a garden, um, I'm by no means an expert, we're still learning ourselves, but if you have a garden and you can't get out because it's raining, uh, not only can you not get out to deal with the weeds, but now they just got a new dose of food and they got a new dose of water and then they just like triple in size every time it rains. Uh, it, was, it was hard to fully hear this because of the sound of the rain, but every time I kind of peeked my head outside to see if it was dry enough to, to weed, I could hear the weeds mocking me. Um, it, was, it was interesting. I, I'm not, it's a hard sound to describe. But, so we were so thankful that we were able to, this weekend, uh, get just about the entire garden weeded. And, and when your weeds have kind of taken over some areas, it's one of the most satisfying jobs in the world. I hate doing it, but it's one of the most satisfying jobs in the world to have you know, this, this, these rows of plants that you want surrounded by these ones that you don't. And, and when you've worked your way through, all you're left with are these beautiful plants that you know are going to produce fruit for you and this big pile of weeds that you're going to go burn later once it dries out. We also had a few other projects. We're kind of moving some dirt around, some rearranging some flower beds and different things. And so there was some back-breaking work that we did uh, over this weekend. And so we kind of uh, ended it. We got the kids cleaned up. We got cleaned up. We had dinner. And then my wife and I were just sitting out on the back porch, just kind of enjoying the backyard, enjoying each other's company, and just talking about a few different things. And I, I was thinking on this, and like I said, on one hand, it was... It was a good thing. It was, it was satisfying in that moment as we realized all the different projects that we wanted to get done and, and, uh, and did get done. But I started to think about it, and I'm like, a week from now, I'm going to have to mow the grass again. You know, two weeks, three weeks from now, at some point, we're going to have to weed again. Even the flower beds that, I, that we kind of restructured and whatnot, they're going to need more attention. And I wasn't even done. We started putting some grass seed down in some places and mulch in others. And I just started thinking about this. And I'm like, so here I am satisfied over all the work that we've accomplished. And yet, it's all for naught. As we step back and look at the scope of this, in that day, in that moment, man, what a great thing to have done. But as we step back in life, man, that. This is going to take a lot more work to keep at this point. And if we don't put that work in, it's just going to wash away as if we weren't even there. 
You wait a couple years, play this thing out, go a couple years of not addressing it at all, and you, you wonder, was there ever a garden in this place? Because weeds will take it over and, and just overcome that area. And I was thinking about that. And it just, you know, what do we make of this life? You even think of your life as a whole, from beginning to end, and, and do you leave a mark? Have you left a mark? Will you leave a mark on this world? If you have, how many generations before it's forgotten? I know my parents. I know my grandparents. I've heard stories of my great-grandparents. I never got a chance uh, to meet them. Um, I, I can't go much further past that. My, my aunt was big on genealogies, and she's really unpacked our family history, and, and so she can pull out all kinds of newspaper articles and clippings and, and kind of trace back that family lineage. But to truly know all those individuals and, and to know the mark that they left on this world is, is getting more and more difficult. And so I thought about that for myself. Like, so what does that look like in, in this world? Is there a purpose if it all eventually washes or wastes away? And I got to think on it. I'm like, well, fortunately, this world isn't the end of it. Once this world comes to an end, once my time on this earth comes to an end, that this isn't the end of it, but that there is a creator in heaven who desires to be in relationship with me and desires to be in relationship with you, desires to be in relationship with his creator. And as you got to think on that more, I'm like, well, shoot, this is exactly what we're talking about today in our next chunk on the Apostles' Creed. And so if you've ever wondered that, well, what's the value in this life? Every day I'm just kind of putting this grind in, whether it's in your job, in the workplace, or there's a project you're, take, you're tackling. Uh, yes, you can have those moments of satisfaction, but if you wonder, what, what's really lasting in this life? What's the real purpose in living this life? We're going to be unpacking that some here today. And one of the ways we've been doing this each week has been looking at the Apostles' Creed and taking a new line uh, from the Apostles' Creed. And, and three reminders I've been hitting on every single week. First one is that the Apostles' Creed is a tool for teaching. There's no authority in the creed itself. It simply points us back to the teaching of the early apostles, and their teaching was basically what Jesus had called them to do. He calls them to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, or, and teaching others all that you've observed me teaching and commanding to you. And so basically Jesus said, hey, go in and teach what I have taught you. And so they did just that. And so we take the Apostles' Creed, which is their teachings, it's the teachings of Jesus. It's this foundational statement of faith. We can look back to some we've covered already. We, we start with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And again, as you remember, this, it's a tool for teaching who our God is. And we see that our God is near, like a father. He's personal. He's close. We talked about how in our lives there's ways that we can go against the will of God. Uh, scripture called that sin. There's ways we can go our own way over God's way. And imagine it kind of running away from home. If God has said, hey, this is who you are, this is your home, and you say, you know what, I, I'm not interested in you, God, and I'm going to run and book the other way. We can run for years and years and years and hundreds of thousands of miles. And in any other situation, to get back home, you'd have to turn and, and make that trek back. But in our relationship with God, the second we turn and say, hey, I, I want to come back, God's right there. He's been with us the whole time. We say he is a loving father who is near because this lie, I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth, it teaches us something about who God is, that he is a father who is close. It also reminds us that he is almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, that he is boundless, that he is limitless. As we think about the universe, as we lay un under the stars at night, Imagine, a, you know, if you've ever been camping before, we can get away from the cities and, and away from the light pollution. You get a, it's a clear night without a cloud in the sky. You can just see the depth of the stars in the sky. Then you stop and think about, I'm laying on this big giant 
rock, and I'm only seeing the stars in front of me, but these are happening all around the earth, that they could see this immense amount, this universe, to know that God is the one who created that, that God is the one who set its boundaries, who set its limits, who set its constants as far as how different things work. And man, we see our God is immense. Our God is powerful. So it's a creed that helps to teach us who our God is. Last week we looked at how we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And we can see uh, how Jesus is both the son of man, meaning he was fully human, but also the son of God. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, uh, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, here's what everyone else is saying. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and he says, I, I believe you are the son of God. If you remember, we, we unpacked that. Jesus, he said, do you, who do they say the son of man is? He's acknowledging, he's standing before them in the flesh saying, who, who do people say that I am? Am I just another person? You've seen what I can do. You've heard me teach what I'm teaching. And that's what Simon Peter says, you're the son of, son of God our Lord. And so as we go through these statements, it's a tool that teaches us and reminds us of what we know. We also talk about how it's a, it's a creed that connects us. It reminds us that we are a greater part, uh, uh, that there's a greater organization that we are a part of. This one local church isn't the only church, but there are churches throughout this town, throughout time, throughout the state, throughout the nation, throughout the world who are united as the church, capital C. And whether each of those churches recites the Apostles' Creed, I think before this series, uh, I've been here almost six years, and uh, I can't recall a Sunday where we've covered the Apostles' Creed in in any form. And and so whether you're a church like us who doesn't recite it every Sunday, or you're a church that does recite it every Sunday, these are foundational truths that connect us and, and remind us that we are on the same team. One of the ways this plays itself out is how we partner together with the local church. We had a vacation Bible school here two weeks ago. It was an amazing time. It just turned out, uh, it just so happened that there's a lo- two local churches that partner together, the EV Free Church in McHenry and Maranatha Assembly of God down the street from them. Uh, and they partnered together for VBS. And they happen to be doing the exact same version that we did. And, and so instead of saying, hey, ours was better than yours, which I don't know because I didn't see theirs, instead of having that kind of mindset, we said, hey, how can we work together? How can we bless you? And, and they had the same heart. How can we bless you guys next year if, if we were to do the same one? Uh, and basically, a lot of our supplies we're able to send to them uh, to help them and all that they're doing. And, and there's this mutual cooperation. It's not a heart of whose is better, but it's a heart of how can we work together because we acknowledge that there's a, there's a foundational truth that connects us. Because of things like this, when we look at other churches, there's the Orchard out in McHenry. If you're familiar with their story a little bit, they just had a transition uh, of lead pastor where uh, Tim Beavis uh, went to a different job outside the church, uh, basically training church, church leaders uh, throughout the world. And then their, uh, their associate pastor, Scott Swanson, stepped into the new lead role. Um, and we say we, we want to celebrate that transition and walk with them and pray for them as they go through the, you know, difficult times. Um, this this truth that we are connected helps us to speak well of other churches. I don't know what it is about uh, larger churches, but oftentimes uh, if someone's going to have be for Jesus but have a frustration with the church, uh, a lot of times I see them try to pin that on larger churches. And they'll come up and they'll start to share, oh yeah, I've been to this place, that place, and and they start to go off this list of what's wrong. I just love to kind of pause for them and say, you know what, I just love that church. I just love that local church. It's, just, it's different. It's another expression, local church, but small, big, it uh, doesn't matter. 
if we're making much of the name of Jesus, and, and we are connected in these beliefs. And so uh, if, it's, if it's that local large church, man, we, we love them too. And um, uh, LifeSpring in Spring Grove, they just uh, acquired 22 acres off of Routes 173. And, and this weekend, uh, they had kind of a prayer walk over their property. We can celebrate that with them. We can celebrate how God is moving in other towns and get excited about that as well. All this is possible because we are united in Jesus. And this creed reminds us of that, that we're not the only ones who believe these statements. We're not the only ones who, who would stand on this truth, but there's other churches throughout. And then we also said that the Apostles' Creed serves to reaffirm our foundation. That It doesn't take much to get knocked off of our foundation, right? It doesn't take much. You get that one phone call, and all of a sudden your, your, your whole uh, next steps are unclear, are shaky, whether it's something, you know, going through a significant loss or health issue, whatever it is, is we, we go through these different things that make us, uh, lead us to a place of questioning everything. And uh, being able to have something like this reminds us of, of, of what we know to be true. Whenever we acknowledge things like Jesus is Lord uh, and make these, these statements, it helps to reaffirm our foundation because a, a, a question comes up, right? Whenever we say Jesus is Lord, well, is, is that who my Lord is? Am I living with Jesus as my Lord? Who am I chasing after? Who am I submitting to? Uh, or, or am I pursue, pursuing other things and putting other things in place of Lord in my life? Maybe it's a pursuit of things or a pursuit of comfort. Or is it Jesus? Who is God? We talked about uh, last week this picture of, of, of sea turtles, right? How that we, we, scientists were finding that uh, there's so much light pollution along the shores where these sea, the sea turtles were laying their eggs that when these baby sea turtles were, being, were hatching, uh, they believe, that the prevailing thought is they believe that they're, they're just kind of uh, ingrained in them to look for the brightest light and, and then swim to that because that would typically be the sun reflecting off of the moon, reflecting off of the water. And so they would see the moonlight uh, on the ocean. They'd be drawn to the ocean where there's their best chance at life and safety and, and, and all that they, they need uh, to live, but there's so much light pollution in these areas that they're, they're seeing them kind of get detoured, and, and they're going away from the ocean. They're going towards the cities, and they're, and they're looking for any body of water, and they end up in pools, and, and, and they end up you know, being uh, eaten by predators or, or just dying from sheer exhaustion because they can't make it to the sea. They're chasing after all these uh, false lights, these artificial lights, instead of the one true light that's going to bring them life. And maybe we're doing that in our own life. We're finding ways that, hey, we say Jesus is Lord. We say that we want to follow him. But the truth of the matter is maybe there's other things we're pursuing in our life. And so when we have things like uh, the Apostles' Creed, it can help to reaffirm our foundation. We kind of get off direction a little bit. It can help kind of bring us back on. Uh, some of these newer cars nowadays have the lane assist. If you start to swerve a little bit out of your lane, uh, have a little warning light will go off. If you're going to turn and, and there's someone in your blind spot, a little warning beep goes off. and say, hey, you, you got to look out. You're getting a little off course here. Uh, something like the Apostles' Creed can serve to okay, keep us on course. And so those are some of the three reasons we keep talking about why we're walking through this series, why we're even looking at the Apostles' Creed, but we're ultimately going to look at uh, uh, God's Word as we unpack each of these different topics. So today we're going to continue. Uh, we've gotten through, uh, I believe, in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Uh, the next couple weeks is going to unpack a little bit more about uh, what we believe to be true about Jesus. And so we say here, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. 
And so that's what we're going to tackle this morning. Actually, I'm going to break that up into two chunks. The first one we're we'll going to look at here is who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Because these two uh, uh, chunks of this line almost serve as bookends to the, the life of Jesus on this earth where he was conceived, he was born, and then up until his death. Those who know uh, the end of the story know that uh, there's more that takes place after that, where he overcomes death, rises from the grave, uh, and then eventually ascends into heaven. Uh, But we'll cover that more in coming weeks. Uh, But as as for today, we're going to look at from birth to death, uh, the story of Jesus. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now this is the first mention of the third part of the Trinity, uh, that we serve a triune God. We've already hit on that briefly. We, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and now here's mention of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to unpack that too much today because a later week we're going to be talking about I believe in the Holy Spirit, and so we'll unpack that a little bit more there. But again, we see uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together for one goal, one purpose. So uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. If you've got your Bibles with you, go and open them up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to have a little bit of a, it's not quite Christmas in July, it's uh, June still, but we have a little bit of Christmas in June. Um, looking at some of the, the Christmas story, the birth story of Jesus. See, Matthew and Luke have uh, most of the, the, what you'd be familiar with, with the Christmas story. Uh, Luke goes in the most depth, and so we're kind of unpack some stuff there, but Luke chapter 1 is we're going to be here in a moment. Uh, we have Mary who is betrothed to Joseph. And she was found to be with child. And, and so Joseph sought to part ways. And all of a sudden, you know, an angel, uh, Gabriel, had already prepped Mary to say, here's what's going to take place. Here's what's going to happen. And so this, this, while it's still, I'm sure, a little bit of a surprise, it wasn't a full-on surprise for her that, uh, that she wound up pregnant because the angel said this was going to happen. But when Joseph finds out, he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to kind of part quietly from you. And then uh, the, Gabriel speaks to Joseph and says, hey, no, this is God in, in this and, and stay with Mary. And so he does, and they continue on, and, and, and the rest is history. Um, what's interesting, before we kind of unpack this, the, the Christmas story has become very commonplace in our American culture, right? It, it, it's, there's Christmas movies, and there's all kinds of different resources out there, and sure, sometimes they, they don't quite get it right, but the basic Christmas story has become very commonplace. That's not a bad thing, but it comes to this place of being very familiar. And what's interesting, something like that I find we do often is if something becomes familiar, we fool ourselves into thinking that we have it mastered. Or we fool ourselves into almost lessening whatever it is that, that we've now familiarized ourselves with. As if somehow the fact that we can get it all uh, uh, used to it, that that somehow makes it less. And so I encourage you to see that there's still something pretty amazing in this story. So let's review the details. Uh, You have a virgin who's told she'll be with child. You have a virgin who ends up with the child uh, being pregnant. And then we have a virgin who gives birth to a child. If we were to see any other story like that, I mean, try to put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes. Guys, if you want to put yourself in Mary's shoes, that's fine. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger tried it in a movie back in the 90s, but that's okay. Um, But try to put yourself in their shoes. We're also the Holy Spirit... uh, conceives this child in you or conceives this child in, in your fiance. I mean, just stop there. I mean, we don't have to go any further. Just uh, try to get your head around that. you got to imagine that, that, that both Mary and Joseph were, were like, so what's going to happen? Can, can you explain it one more time to me? Do, do I get a vote in this? Do I get a say? Or is this just, is this, are, are things already in motion? 
I mean, this is something that just seems impossible. Um, I know that there's always ways in which we can improve our, our, our local schools, and uh, it's always awesome to see how they continue to better themselves. I think back when I was in school and how things have gotten better. But I got to believe that we've all had, in some capacity, some element of, of uh, health class. We learned how the human body works, and uh, you learned how babies are made, and you went through all that. If there's any little ones here who haven't learned that lesson yet, parents, my apologies. There might be some questions that come after all this, but every time... Uh, I bet any kind of lesson along there, never once has it been, okay, so you have a woman, and you have the Holy Spirit, and then you have a baby. It just, that story was never told, right? You have some stuff that comes from the woman, the egg, you have some stuff that comes from the guy, they get together, and all of a sudden, life begins. Never was there this, well, you just got one player, and then the Holy Spirit does some work. And so this is already a, a different situation, a different story playing itself out. We can see what, what's, what's Mary's response to all this. Luke 1, 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, the angel Gabriel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's just been told that you will be with child. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And she also, the angel also goes on to say, and your cousin Elizabeth, who's older in years, guess what? She's pregnant too. God's just, you know, it's almost like an Oprah thing. You get a baby, and you get a baby, and you get him. Um, we have seen that in different cycles at Meadowland here. Where I don't know if it's something in the water or the Holy Spirit going on, but uh, we're due for one, too. So just to forewarn you, we're, we're due for our next wave. Um, so Mary asks, how can this be? I, I mean, a totally valid question. Again, I don't know what her upbringing was, what her schooling was, but again, she realizes, hey, that this is not how babies are made how can this be and while gabriel explains the major points and, and he says that hey your your you, your cousin's prayers too and all that and kind of puts everything in perspective for mary because she's trying to figure out what's going on and get this line here in verse 37 that gabriel says it's so easy to miss it's so easy to tuck this verse away into the christmas story and say well that's how a, a virgin had a baby and, and never let it truly just kind of marinate over your life the truth of this statement. Gabriel says this, Luke 1, 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you ever feel overwhelmed in your life? Just, man, you just, you're at the end of your rope. Uh, there's a whole expression of, you know, burning the candle at both ends, and you're, just, you're running out of energy, and you just feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's just a momentary thing, or maybe you're in a season of feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you just received some uh, game-changer news. I think kind of the big three that, I, that I've seen in my own life and other people's lives is uh, when you find out issues with health, whether your own or someone that you love, issues with money, uh, or issues with relationships. If you get some significant news, it tends to be a game changer where, where it changes the course of your life. Sometimes maybe it just nudges you a little bit. Other times um, you're never the same. We can endure and embrace things like this or we can try to run and retreat and, and hide from it. 
You know, I shared a couple weeks ago, um, making a different point, just kind of a moment of being overwhelmed. Um, I had some relational issues. One, my wife was out of the country for about a week uh, on a girls' weekend. Uh, so then my kids were being stinkers at this particular time. Uh, I had a relational issue with a cop who uh, pulled me over for breaking the law speeding and um, got a ticket for that. I'm legal now. I did get my license renewed, uh, if you remember that story from two weeks ago. So yay me. Um, and then, uh, so I shared all those, you know, I had some relational issues. I had some health issues where we had just found out some news of a loved one in our extended family. Uh, it was just kind of some crushing news. We were hoping that it would have been something better, and we just got some, some medical news on a loved one. And so that was all kind of coming to a head at the same time. And then, uh, you know, the money issue thing, there was, um, you know, we moved from Lombard six years ago, and um, at that point, with the market being what it is, the short version of the story, we, we rented out the home that we had lived in there so that we could wait till uh, the market bounced back a little bit to be able to, to sell it and get out from under it. And, um, and so just some struggles with that, that rental there, um, and so that had just kind of come to a head, and just all this stuff had just come to a head right in a moment, the big three, money, health, and, and relationships. I just was overwhelmed, overwhelmed by it all. I know there's, there's so many other stories out there, some more significant, some even more overwhelming. I'm just saying we all can relate to different moments in our life where we've been overwhelmed. And I think we get to the same question that Mary gets to. If you're a follower of God and and you seek him on a daily basis, when you get to a moment like this, you kind of think, God, how how, how will this be? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to overcome this path before if you're not a follower of God, if you, if you don't pursue Jesus, if you don't pursue a relationship with your creator, you maybe still ask the same question. You just don't know who you're asking it to. You're, I mean, I think that's a great picture of being overwhelmed as you just say, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get through this? How can it be? We need to have the same word spoken to us that Gabriel said to Mary. We need to be reminded of that truth of Luke 1, 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. So how are we to reply to the God of the impossible? How are we to reply to the God of the impossible? We need to have the same response to God that Mary had. If you keep reading through Luke chapter 1, we see Mary's response uh, to this news that, that she will be with child conceived by the Holy Spirit. She basically says, let it be to me as you have revealed. So the Holy Spirit tells her, or I'm sorry, uh, um, Gabriel tells her, here's what's going to play out, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit comes upon her, and, and Jesus is conceived, and she's now carrying the Son of God, and it's causing all kinds of shifts in her life. Relationally, she has issues with Joseph now until Gabriel steps in and says, don't worry, Joe, uh, this is legit, you know, stick with your wife. It, you know, it, relational issues, I'm sure, with extended family. Um, well, on one hand, she can connect with uh, Elizabeth, who, who's got her own miracle as, as God gave them a child in her old age. Uh, you got to imagine the town's kind of a buzz. Oh, we see Mary's pregnant before her and Joseph uh, have gotten you know, uh, officially married. They kind of had a, an official uh, engagement, and then you went to marriage. And, and oh, well, she's pregnant, and they're saying it wasn't Joseph. They're saying it was God. You know, easy, easy you know, cop-out you know, kind of thing. And, and so she's getting judged, I'm sure, and facing all that. And uh, there's all this change going on in her life. And she has this phrase, this response of, let it, to, let it be as you have said. Whatever you ordain, Father God, however you will it to be, I'm with you. Is what we see her saying. What, what a beautiful response to the God of the impossible. 
I think so many times when we get overwhelmed, here's what we want God to do. We want God to remove the roadblocks and the things that, that are in front of us that seem insurmountable. We want God to take them away. When we're having a difficult day, a difficult season of life, and there's things that we can identify. God, can't you just take the cancer away? God, can't you just uh, fix this relational issue? Can't you just help this person, man, to just to, to reconcile with me? Can't you just uh, 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 you know, help me find and uncover some money? You know, I hear those stories, people who just go out and they'll see a check in the mail. Can, can I have one of those stories? And can it be a lot of zeros? You know, we, we want God just to come and just, just take these roadblocks away. But see, I think the heart where we say, let it to be, let it be to me as you reveal, isn't one of God remove what is overwhelming me. But it's one where we follow wherever he may lead. It's not a question of, will God remove what overwhelms us? But it's will we follow our God through it? I don't know, again, what your upbringing is and your experiences with health class, but uh, your average pregnancy lasts nine months, uh, and your average child lasts forever. Um, and so this wasn't a momentary roadblock for Mary. But this is something that was going to be a complete game changer for her. And she says, God, let it, be, let it be to me as you have said. She was willing to say, God, I will go your way. I will follow you through this. And that gave her a footing on the God most high, a firm foundation to be able to go through her days, even though some of the difficulties were still there, even though there's still a, a journey to walk and, and uh, hard days to work through. She was able to do it because she followed her God instead of waiting for him to remove all the issues ahead of her. God's plan has been from the beginning to be in relationship with, with his creation. That's been his plan, to be in relationship with his creation. He creates the world. He creates the Garden of Eden. He creates man in his image. He puts mankind in the garden, man and, and woman, uh, puts them both together, and, and he joins them. We, we see in Genesis where, where God walked through the garden with Adam and Eve. What a beautiful picture of, of relationship with your creator. Hey, let's go, let's go for a walk with God. And he, he would physically show up, manifest himself there, and he would be with them in the garden. We see this beautiful picture, but then all of a sudden uh, we decide to go against God. He says, just don't eat of, eat of this one tree, for you will die. Whoa. Did God really say that? Is this really the tree? Maybe it was that tree over there. Well, let's, let's find out. Let's, let's do what we want to do. And, and sin enters the picture. Disobedience, where we go our way instead of God's way. And from that point on, there is this, this division between us and God, and God has been doing uh, all kinds of things to remedy that. We see in the Old Testament, the reason they would do, uh, so he calls Abraham and creates his own nation from Abraham's line. And the whole point of, of the Israelite nation, the Jewish nation, was to make himself known amongst all people to bless this group, to be a blessing for all, that all will be blessed through the Israelites, through the Jews. And we see how that, story's play, how that story plays out in Jesus. But even before we get to Jesus, that there's an issue of sin still, and how do we remedy that? And that's why you have these sacrifices where they would sacrifice different animals, and that sacrifice would pay the price uh, of their sins. But that was a temporary solution. And knowing this, God says, I still want to be in relationship with my people, and so I'm going to send my son Jesus to live a perfect life and to give up his life as the Lamb of God, as a perfect substitutionary atonement for the sins of mankind. 
So that when we trust in Jesus, our sins are removed, and we go back to that situation that was uh, set with man and God in the garden where, where there was complete righteousness before God and relationship before, with, with God. And so that's always been God's plan. And that brings us to the other end of the life of Jesus. We have his birth. We get to see that our God is the God of the impossible. And he calls us to follow him. He doesn't just want to be someone who just takes roadblocks out of your way, but he wants to be in relationship with you, with us. And so he makes that possible. We have this phrase in the Apostles' Creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. If if I can remind you, uh, actually jump ahead to John 18, we're going to be next, John 18. Um, And while you're turning there, let me remind you from week one of our series, uh, this, this truth that Jesus lived, that he died on the cross, was crucified, and was buried in a rich man's tomb. This isn't disputed in academia. Even through resources outside of the Bible, outside of the scriptures, uh, even through scholars who don't come to the conclusion that Jesus is God, they do not dispute that this happened, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. I think sometimes we, we try to explain this away. We say, oh, maybe he wasn't really dead, or maybe his body was never actually placed in the tomb. But these are things that, that historians have said, no, with, with, with the resounding yes, this is what happened. And so it's not so much a question of do we believe it, if we have any kind of academic in, uh, integrity in this, it's what does it mean? What do we make of it? But remember, nothing is impossible as God desires to restore relationship with us. And in John chapter 18 uh, we're going to kind of close our, close out our time here. I'm going to read quite a bit of John 18 and 19. And here's what I want you to hear. This is the, the, the crucifixion story where Jesus comes before Pilate, the governor of the area, and, and basically gets sentenced to be crucified. And I want you to hear, and you hear a lot of it towards the end, how just the different things we hear that God is in control of every step along the way of what's taking place. And God, his plan is unfolding before all of history in this moment. So John 18, we're going to begin in verse 28. Jesus has already been brought to Pilate, and Pilate sent him on to Herod, another leader in the region. And Herod's basically like, all right, do, do a dance and show for me. Show me some miracles. And when Jesus doesn't respond, he says, whatever, I'm done with you, and sends him back to Pilate and says, let Pilate deal with all this. And so Pilate's the governor of the area. Uh, begin in verse 28. And they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Uh, it was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. The Passover celebration uh, was coming. And so Pilate went outside to them, came out to this crowd that had brought Jesus before him. What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now we have to remember that the Jews are still under Roman rule. So the Romans had come in and and, uh, overtaken the area and they'd set up different people to rule and that's why you have Pilate there. He's a governor over that area. And so basically the Jews bring Jesus and say, hey, uh, we want you to to, to take care of him. And like, hey, what has this guy done? And instead of saying, here's what he's done, they just say, if he was innocent, would we have brought him to you? It's almost like, hey, just just because we're accusing him, that, that, that should be enough for you. Pilate says, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this. You you just judge him by your own laws. And they say, well, we want to see him put to death. 
And we don't have the authority in this current setup to do that. And so that's why we need you to take care of that, which they knew would lead to crucifixion. We can jump ahead. Jesus, Pilate is, is questioning Jesus, asking this question about, so are, are you a king? That, you know, some, some have said you're the king of the Jews. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And it continues on, Pilate finds no guilt in Jesus. And, and, and he's trying to find a way to kind of keep everybody happy, but also to not have to do anything with Jesus, because he, he's not finding any, any guilt. Uh, he's not finding anything that Jesus has done, uh, because he hasn't. And so all of a sudden he said, hey, you know what, we release one prisoner this time of year. And so here, I'll tell you what, you can have Jesus back or you can have Barabbas. And Barabbas was a villain, was a thief and a murderer. He was just the last guy you'd want to let out of jail. And they said, give us Barabbas. We'll take Barabbas. And Pilate's like, okay, well, that plan totally backfired. And so he releases Barabbas. He's just trying to appease the crowd, but he doesn't see any, any guilt in Jesus. So in John chapter 19, verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and array him in a purple robe. They came, up to, uh, they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So basically Pilate said, All right, you know what? Let's beat him. Let's flog him. The soldiers took it a step further, mocking him. And beating him further. And then Pilate brought him before the people saying, hey, so we, he, he's received some punishment. Are, are we good now? Can we put this matter to rest? And no, they wanted more. They wanted his death. Verse 16b. So they took Jesus and he went out. Uh, so basically, came to the point Pilate just said, you know what? Fine, I'll, I'll give you what you want. And he sent Jesus to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus between them. These next passages I'm going to read, uh, they unpack some of the detail of what took place after he was put to the cross. And it highlights how much God's plan is being played out in this moment. John 19, 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was, so, to, this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. See, typically, this would have divvied up whatever the, the criminal or person they were crucifying had and just kind of spread it out amongst them. But he had this really nice tunic that there's no easy seam to break to kind of split up the fabric. And so, hey, you know what? Let's keep this as is and we'll cast lots. Basically, you know, pick a number kind of thing. And we see it's actually fulfilling scripture that said, hey, the Messiah's uh, uh, clothing, the Savior's clothing, they'll cast lots for it. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Again, we see the circumstances 
around his death, a fulfilling scripture that foretold the Messiah's death. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it bore, has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may, may believe. For these things took place, the scripture may, might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And another, again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Typical uh, custom, you, you leave them on the cross until they died. And sometimes it could take days, that, that process of, of hanging and slowly, actually asphyxiation would be the primary way of death because it gets to a point where you don't have the power to lift yourself up or to stand up to be able to get a full breath because the way you hang, it, it cuts off your ability to get a full breath. But because of the Passover coming, they say, hey, we don't want to, it would be a curse to leave these dead bodies up. And so the, the Jews said, hey, can we, can we hurry this up a little bit? Whenever that had to happen, what they would do is they would break the legs of the victims. That way they couldn't pull themselves up. And so they, they do that to the two on uh, Jesus' sides. And they get to Jesus, and, and they're about to, and they realize, well, hang on a sec, he's already dead. And to confirm that, they put a, a spear in his side and it says blood and water flow out, which actually is what you'd expect medically uh, for someone who died through those means. And we see both the fact that his legs were not broken and that his side was pierced. Again, fulfills prophecy. Fulfills Old Testament scripture. It said this is what's going to happen. I, I spend so much time as I unpack all this because we need to see that this has been God's plan all along. He has known this is what was going to happen. He orchestrated it. He is the God of the impossible, and he has made a way for us uh, to be made new through Jesus. He was fulfilling this plan all along. See, see, none of us are righteous. None of us are righteous. I think sometimes we, we see the disciples, and we think, man, those are the good guys, and, and they walked with Jesus, and then they became the apostles, and they, they helped plant the early church, and that's all true. That's all amazing stuff. But we also need to remember the, their backstory. These were the, the, the rejects. They didn't, they didn't quite cut it in, in school and, and the religious studies and you know those who did would have gone on to be uh, to be taught under a rabbi but these guys were you know out fishing they took up the family job because they, they couldn't cut it in the, the religious school and so you have some of those guys there you have a tax collector matthew uh, you may have uh when your kids came home from vacation bible school and they were telling you stories of tax collectors and every time you try to say tax they would boo because they, they're, yeah they're telling the story about basically what well, you know, imagine an occupying force coming in to your, your town, and then one of your own neighbors, one of your own people, pays for the right to tax you to give those funds to the occupying force, and on top of that, can tax you more than they're allowed uh, and take the extra for themselves. That's what a tax collector was. And Matthew was a tax collector. And, and so these people who, who sold out their country Yet God is making them righteous. It doesn't matter what we have done, how far we have gone. Jesus has offered to all of us, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us, none of us are righteous. But the good news of Jesus is that when we trust in him, that death on the cross that we just read about was a sacrifice of, of, a, of an innocent man who was fully man and fully God, who gave up his life so that we could be righteous so that we could be made clean. That was what, what the animal sacrifices were in the Old Testament, where the blood of that animal paid the price for their sin. Jesus is the ultimate lamb of God. So we trust in Jesus. 
He takes on our sin and pays the price for those on the cross. And we take on his righteousness. Think back to the moments of feeling overwhelmed. Did you desire for God to move in that precise moment? You wanted to go through the beginning, middle, and end of that experience all in that one moment, right? You pray, God, help me in this moment. You want to be a moment. So many times, it's a long-term situation. It's an entirely new direction. If we look at God's plan of salvation, we see it's a long-term plan working itself out from the beginning. And so let us learn to see that which overwhelms in proper perspective to our God who overcomes. And that's my hope for you here this morning, that we would learn to see that which overwhelms the things in our lives that overwhelm us, that we learn to see that which overwhelms through the proper perspective in light of he who overcomes. Because he's the one who's saying, follow me. He's the one who's saying, I I, I will give you words of life, the bread of life. I will walk with you. In closing, one question you may ask is, but but why did Jesus suffer? In 1 Peter chapter 2, we get this, and it begins with, for to this you've been called in reference to enduring hardship for the sake of the gospel. Peter's been talking about uh, how as we live for Jesus, there's hardship that comes sometimes in that. And so 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you have been called, that enduring hardship for the sake of the gospel, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Listen here. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. You were like sea turtles chasing after artificial lights, but now you found the true light in Jesus. Following Jesus is a full-on course correction in life. He suffered as an example for us, for when we live for Jesus, there will be hardship. But we die to sin, we live to righteousness, and are healed from the effects of our sin. And so no matter what this life has to bring, no matter what may overwhelm, no matter what difficulty there is, we see that through the proper perspective of the one who is overcome. Jesus, who was conceived of the, of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead, and buried. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We love you so much. We thank you for the life of Jesus that we see played out. We thank you, the reminder that you are the God of the impossible. We see a virgin birth. We thank you that you are God who initiates relationship with his people. From the beginning, you've had a plan, and we see that plan uh, crescendo to the life and death of Jesus, where his death on the cross pays a price for our sins, Father God, and his example in suffering empowers us to know how to live in this world when we endure suffering, that we would trust in you and follow you, Father God that we would not try to tackle it ourselves or go our own way, but that we would go your way. We'd seek to find that in your word. We'd seek to find that through your people. We'd seek to find that through prayer and through fasting and through trusting in you, Father God. And so I pray for each person here this morning, Father God, that you would meet with us. Whether small things that we're going through right now or, or, or earth, 
shaking things that shake us to our core. Whatever overwhelms right now, Father God, I pray that we would uh, see you afresh. It would be reminded of what we know to be true, that you are the God of the impossible, that you desire to be in relationship with us, and you've made a way for us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. So we receive you, Lord Jesus, as Messiah, as our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do. And Father, we surrender our lives to you, looking for you to set the course and direction of our lives. And in all this, we say like Mary said, let it be as you have said, Father. We will follow you in your name.